I do want to start with a prayer that God would uh, direct our thoughts and that um, he would teach us uh, from his word as we, as we go through it this afternoon. Let's bow, uh, bow our heads. Loving Father in heaven, we give you the thanks, the praise, the glory for your word, which is all-powerful. Your gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And we pray that indeed we may be blessed, strengthened, edified as we would go through thy word. Give uh, grace and utterance unto the speaker and to all that would be participating and hearing. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Um, this question has probably been, been niggling at Christianity for a long time. More so in this latter time because uh, um, I believe more and more Jews are, are turning to God. And I believe that as they do turn, uh, there's a lot of things that they want to bring with them into Christianity. And part of what's hard to let go is our heritage, is, is the past. And I think one reason we have this difficulty is because, yes, Jews can see the gospel of Christ uh, in the scriptures, but they don't want to quite let it all go in the past. So they want to bring in with them the the, the heritage or the thing that's been so part of them as they grew up with, with their families. Not much unlike um, the early church that had Jewish converts, 3,000 in one day. But it was hard for them to let go of the past. And, and you will see the struggles that they went through uh, with the Apostle Paul and, and, and the other apostles. Um, having said that, um, there are several issues as I was dealing with this uh, topic. Uh, several issues in the idea of should a Christian keep the law or not and the proponents and the, uh, the opponents of that, of that idea. One, the first issue is Christ and keeping the law. Uh, did he mean that you just keep it before the cross, before he died on the cross and then afterwards it's a different uh, system, a different administration or operation? Or did he mean you keep it for all time? We'll get more into that. Uh, we want to discuss the usage of the ter term law. Uh, it, is it just the law of Moses as described in the New Testament? Or does law mean something else as well in the New Testament? Three, what was the outcome of Acts 15? They don't have to keep the law? Or uh, it's speaking about s specific segments of the law they don't have to keep, such as proselyte uh, circumcision and so forth. We'll get into that. Fourthly, um, the debate on circumcision, was it for all men or just for the, the non-Jews? Okay, and that was sort of tied in with the previous one. The fifth one is, what was the definition of uh, ordinances and decrees as, as uh, specified in the New Testament? Was it the ceremonial law or was it actually teaching of men in the arguments the Apostle Paul gave? You see, how you, what you place in some of these verses, such as Ephesians 15 and Colossians 2.20, uh, determines which side of the fence you're going to fall. Uh, six, the apostles and the keeping of the law. Did they, did, they did keep the law to a certain extent, you will see. There are examples of law keeping. But was it obligatory or was it a liberty? And uh, uh, in order to access the Jews in some cases. 
Um, what does the word abolished mean in Hebrews 8.13? Uh, does it mean the old covenant with all its ceremonial laws is abolished? Or does it mean the old, only the covenant and not the laws? These are the, these are the arguments that are coming out. Uh, number eight, the yoke in Galatians 5. Was the yoke the law or was the yoke the false teachings of men? These are the, these, when you come to these categorical scriptures, these are the arguments that are coming out to, to push you to one side or to the other. And the last one, the usefulness of the law. Um, the traditionalists say it points out sin. The, the messianic, if you will, I'm using this term loosely just to differentiate between the two, uses it, says it points out sin and it sanctifies if you keep the law. Okay, the ceremonial law included. So we're going to go on. And as a little sidestep, I always like to check the pulse with the early church. What did the early church believe? And that includes the fathers, the early church fathers. You know, I've done that with the universalism topic. You know, when, when, when for 1,800 years or 2,000 years, for the most part, the church believed this, and all of a sudden, in the 20th, 20th century, it changes You've got to scratch your head and say, why, why did it change? For example, the head covering. The head covering, I'm not going to preach on the head covering, but you know, for 2,000 years, it was standard through all churches. You know, Even the, Presbyter the Presbyterians still wear it and so forth. But all of a sudden, in the 21st century, all of a sudden, it doesn't apply. You wonder why. You know? um, so what did the early church fathers believe? Um, what did they teach their disciples? Uh, is it found in the writings of the early church fathers? What was handed down to the early church fathers? And the early church fathers believed that Christians do not have to hold the law as given to Moses. That's the that's the summary. If you search the, you can go to ccelsomething.org. A lot of writings there. A lot of uh, on all kinds of topics how the, as, as as it was collected and 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 saved. And you will see that uh, some quotes from Ignatius. The third bishop, uh, patriarch of Antioch, he was a student of John the Apostle. He says, Christians do not observe the Sabbath, but the Lord's Day. That was one of his quotes. Uh, and you'll see uh, from Mathetes, uh, Christians do not offer sacrifices, nor abstain from meats, nor observe the Sabbath, nor the moons of festivals, nor circumcise like the Jews do. And he was one that having, uh, was self-stated, having been a disciple of the apostles, I come forward as a teacher of the Gentiles, ministering worldly to them. So he was taught directly by the apostles. Justin Martyr says something very same thing. Don't keep the moons. Irenaeus and so forth. The law started with Moses and ended with John and so forth. I'm going to skip through these. I'm just showing you, just so you can see in front of you, these are the early church fathers that followed the apostles. Oregon. Victorinus and uh, Lacantius. Okay, so I'm going to switch into another uh, topic now and discuss what is a law, what is a covenant. Because some of these are the points of arguments in whether we should keep the law of Moses or not. First of all, the Christian and what law? Is it the law of God? Is it the law of Moses? Is it the law of Christ? Is it the law of liberty? Is it the royal law? Is it the law? Now, all these terms come up in the New Testament. You could agree with me, I hope, that the law in the New Testament doesn't always mean the law of Moses, okay? It can be used in the term works of the law, and it sort of 
in Paul's writings, especially to the Galatians, it's, a, it's an excellent book to go through if you want to learn about the purpose of the law. It really means any legalistic endeavor, the works of the law, a legalistic endeavor. Old Testament scriptures, it can refer to. Jesus referred to the book of Psalms and called it the law. To a psalm, he said, doesn't the law say that ye are gods? But he actually referred to the psalm as saying this is the law. So it was sort of used interchangeably sometimes. Thirdly, it's a general uh, principle or a norm or a self-evident truth. For example, Ro uh, Romans 8.1, Romans 3.27, and Romans 7.2. Romans 8.1 says that we have the law of the spirit, right? Or the law of life and so forth. Uh, I forget the exact words. The law of faith. It's, it's used as a general principle. It doesn't always mean the law of Moses, as some people think it means. Uh, he, I've just had uh, quoted Romans 8 2 For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. We know it can't be the law of Moses because we know that Romans 8 1 says and 8 1 2 and 3 says that the law was weak. It couldn't clear you from a bad conscience, it couldn't do these things that the gospel does. What's a covenant? It's an agreement. It contains laws, it contains promises for obedience, and contains punishments for disobedience. It is created by God, as we're talking about the Bible, and it's, it's a covenant with either individuals or with nations. We see the different covenants that were uh, formed in the Bible, the covenant in Eden, the covenant with Noah, the covenant with Abraham, the covenant in the Sinai, uh, the Levitical covenant with the priests, and the, the Davidic covenant, which is really messianic in its, in its uh, content. Christ in the law. Now this is where it's probably the cornerstone of the messianic that say you must keep the law of Moses. Okay, These are pretty strong words. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets, for I have not come to destroy but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth shall pass away, one jot, that is a dotting of an, uh, an I equivalent, and a tittle, that is a crossing of a T, shall in no way pass from the law till all be fulfilled. That's pretty strong, don't you think? Till heaven and earth pass away. And then in Matthew 23, 2, it says, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, where the law is read, the, therefore what they, soever they bid you observe, that observe and do. That's pretty strong. Christ says, do it, do the law. But the question is, when, how, and for how long? Okay? Matthew 5.19 says, Whoever breaks the least of these commandments shall be called uh, the least in the kingdom of God. But what's he talking about? What it actually is, he, is Jesus speaking about? Don't forget that right after he said that, he said, except for I, the continuation is here, for, this is key. For I say unto you, except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees and the scribes, you shall in no wise enter the kingdom of God. Was Jesus speaking about the entire law? Or was he speaking a portion of the law because the law was going to be changed? 
Some say that not one jot or tittle can pass from the law. Therefore, you cannot say that Christ abolished the ceremonial law. And I'm just using that term for now. If Christ says not one jot or tittle shall pass, how can the ceremonial law pass? Yet the same people that say that, when it comes to offerings with blood and so forth, say, well, we only keep the laws that apply. You can't have both. You can't have it both ways. You can't say the law cannot absolutely change, yet we only keep the ones that apply. Right? By saying the above, there is an admission that the laws that apply to the people of God have indeed changed, or the entire law of Moses for all, t uh, for all time, uh, what Christ really meant in Matthew 5.19, that you either keep the law of Moses for all time, or only the moral and exclude the ceremonial, or only the Ten Commandments, or the entire law until all be fulfilled, which is what he said. Since all the law was fulfilled by Christ, we are not bound by the law of Moses anymore. The law was fulfilled, and heaven and earth can pass away now because Christ fulfilled the law. We couldn't. As long as heaven and earth um, are here, we could never fulfill the law. We will always break it, if that's what it means. If we were to break one of the least commandments. In the book of Hebrews, another monumental uh, writing on it, he says that there will be a new covenant. But now hath he abolished a more ex obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which established is established upon better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, then there should be no place of being sought for a second. In that he saith a new covenant, he hath made the first old. Now that which de that which is decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. If you look at it, why did he say it's ready to vanish away? We know the temple was still standing. We know that, that the apostle was still there and they, they still had uh, remnants of their old way of thinking. And it was not wrong to practice certain parts of the law. It wasn't wrong to, um, uh, uh, for example, Paul, when he went in Acts 21 to, to uh, have a vow of, of until something is accomplished. It wasn't wrong to shave your head like a Nazarite as long as you realized it wasn't obligatory and that didn't justify you. Okay? And I believe that in AD 70, God had it happen that the temple was destroyed. And that's when all the sacrificial system was, was ceased. Without a doubt, God put an end to the sacrificial system. And we'll get a bit more into that a bit later. Old covenant was done away with when Christ's work on earth was fulfilled. In 18, 8, uh, 13 of Hebrews, he said, a new covenant is made. And then in Hebrews 10, 9, he says, he taketh away the first covenant that he may establish the second. If you look at the Messianic renewed covenant, so uh, the Bible, the translation, he says, by saying new, he has made the first obsolete. Now, the one becoming obsolete and growing old is on the verge of disappearing. And that's exactly what happened in 70 AD. 
And there's some more parallel translations for the PowerPoint. Now, in Hebrews 9, it talks about the, the, the meaning of the ceremonial covenant. Okay? Hebrews 9, 1 says, Then verily the first covenant has also ordinance of divine service and a worldly sanctuary, earthly sanctuary. And Hebrews 9, 8 says that the Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way to the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was yet standing. Right here it says, while the temple is there, the tabernacle included the temple, right? Because it was a continuation. Uh, the temple was a continuation of the tabernacle. While that first worshipping place of God, while the first covenant was in place, um, this, this occurred. But then when it was done away with, it was a sign from God that the Mosaic law was over. The Hebrews 9.9 9 says, which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and saf uh, sacrifices that could not make him that did serve as perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only, like he uses the word only, in the meats and drinks and diverse, wa diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed upon them until when? The time of the Reformation. Well, we know that time of the Reformation had to be when Christ came, when the inner man was reformed, transformed, changed, a new covenant, the restoration of man. That Reformation actually means the restoration or making right. And that happened at the appearing of Christ and his uh, sacrifice on the cross. He takes away the first to establish the second. And uh, Romans has got a very interesting verse. verse uh, chapter 10, verse 4. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Now, the argument with Messianics, if I can use that term for now, is that, and, and by the way, not all Messianic Jews believe you need to hold the law of Moses. There's a small fragment that do, but many see that you don't. They see the the, 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 uh, the, the traditional uh, belief of dispensations and so forth that, that the old law is, is only used by preference or liberty, but not obligatory. So I don't want to, anyone to think that because the Jews know the law better, they understand the scriptures better and so forth, that uh, they believe you must keep the law of Moses. There are many Jews that have become Christians that don't believe you have to keep the law of Moses. Uh, Ephesians 2.15, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments, contained in ordinances. Now, the word used here, he's using, I believe, the word dogma, teachings. We get that. We Sometimes we use the word dogma for doctrine interchangeably, right? I don't want to be dogmatic about it, right? So uh, he's using the word dogma here, but the argument here by the Messianic is saying, well, uh, they've never used that word for the law of Moses. So it doesn't mean that. It actually means the teachings of men because dogma is always used for the teachings of men. Well, let's, let's read that in context of Ephesians 2.15. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in the teachings of men for to make in him... Self of twain, one new man, so making peace. 
Christ came to earth, shed his blood on the cross, so he can rectify the false teachings of men. Doesn't make sense. You look at the next verse, it talks about he abolished it in the cross. Okay? I'll get to that later on. I don't want to spend too much time. The, why did God bring about the, the law, the ceremonial law? Uh, and there's not a, a verse in the Old Testament that says we have the ceremonial law and the moral law and the civil law, but for convenience sake, the ceremonial law that I'm going to use just for the sake of labeling the, the laws that pertain to ritual, to cleansings, to purifications, to diets and so forth. In Deuteronomy 14.21 it says, Ye shall not eat anything that dieth of itself. Thou shalt give it unto the stranger that is in thy gates, that he may eat it, or thou mayest sell it unto the alien. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not see the kid in its mother's milk. Why was it wrong for the Jews not to, why was it wrong for Jews to eat of it? I've got to correct that. But God allowed the Gentiles and strangers to eat of it. Do you know that there is not one reason given why the animal was clean or unclean? God just said, these animals are going to be clean, these animals are going to be unclean. He didn't say for health reasons. He didn't say because it was too salty or whatever. He just says, these are going to be clean, these are not, are not going to be clean, and I want you to hold that. But you can give it to the, to the aliens, you can give it to the strangers. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord. It wasn't wrong for Gentiles to eat this food. What does that tell us? The law was given to the Jews. And God used the Jewish people to manifest his glory to the rest of the world. Okay? We'll hold on to that idea. And you can look at all these uh, ordinances, which actually God used it to, to keep the Jewish nation separate from the Gentiles. It was a mark for them. This is as far as you go, that you will be separate from the Gentiles. Okay? And that law of ordinances, law contained in ordinances in Ephesians 2.15, he says at when Christ came, he removed that. that was the, that's what separated the Gentiles from the Jews. It was this law of ordinances. And I, I don't have time to go too far into, deep into that, but it's something you need to think about. In the law of Moses, it is said that it contains 613 laws, 248 positive commands that ma apparently match the number of bones in your body, and 365 negative commands which apparently match the number of days in the year. Whether it's coincidental or not, I don't know. We can see that of these 613 laws, about 200, and I just did a cursory look at this, I, I went through them, about 200 of these laws uh, cannot be applied today because the temple has been destroyed off the bat. About 170 are ceremonial na in nature, many of which don't even apply today. I mean, um, you, you know, it talked about you can have a slave from another country, but you can't put your own people into slavery. Right? Um, 42 laws are very questionable, and, and some are, uh, I don't know, Deuteronomy 22.14 says, if the defamer of the bride is to be flogged, that is the way we deal with sin. 
John 8, we heard about that this morning in the forum. You know, Christ didn't say, don't stone the woman caught in adultery. He says, go ahead and stone her. But you that are without sin, first cast the stone. That's he, was me, he was serious, but he knew that they weren't without sin. And they knew they weren't without sin. So do we today use that? Oh, but it doesn't apply to us because Jesus died. Well, right there, you've just gone against what you said. We can't change one jot or one tittle of the law, right? The first covenant was replaced and the law was changed. Hebrews 7.11 said, it therefore, If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, in this covenant the people received the law through the priests, what further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. Now what part of that last verse don't some people understand? And there are so many verses that you come across that are that are just so categorical and emphatic. Um, Hebrews 7.18 says, For there is verily a disannulling, a cancellation of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. He's actually saying that the, that law, Mosaic law of ceremonies was weak and unprofitable. And the big objection to this, oh, are you saying that God has got an, an unprofitable and weak law? Was God that weak that he made this law so weak? No, God was not that weak. God was strong, but he made the law weak. And I'll prove it to you, and you can prove it to yourselves. In a, in a minute, we'll go through some verses. For the law made nothing perfect, and he's not speaking about the ordinances of men. He's not speaking about false doctrine. He's just finished speaking about the law of Moses, right? The he- book of Hebrews. He was comparing the law of Moses with, God, with Christ. But the bringing in of a better hope by the which we draw nigh unto God. A new covenant. We went through that verse already, 8, 6 and 8, 13. It's a better covenant built, established upon better promises. So the... Remember the law contained promises? These, these promises were better than was in, in the book of Moses. How can we call a law which God called holy and pure and righteous, weak and unprofitable? Is not this sacrilege? 2 Corinthians 3.9 If you look at relatively speaking, and that's what Paul was saying here, for if the ministration of condemnation be glory, here's a, here's a theme for, for, for this week, right? the ministry of condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceeding glory. Relatively speaking, the gospel and what Christ came is far greater than what Moses was given. For even that which was made glorious had no glory. This this is the word of the apostle Paul through the Holy Spirit. He said, had no glory. In this respect, by the reason of the glory that excelleth. For if that which is done away, he's already admitting that that has been done away, was glorious, much more of that which remained is glorious. And we have the other translations. Uh, Romans 8.3 says that the law, speaking of the law of Moses, 
could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. He says the law was weak. You see what happens when you give context to it? It's weak, how? In the flesh. It was strong, but not, not in the spirit. It was weak in the flesh. The law of Moses gave could give no power. Whoa. What happened there? Okay. Apostle Paul writes to the Galatians and actually shows how being under the law, we lose our freedom and are like slaves. Read Galatians through. It's amazing what you will see, the, the analogy, the allegory he gave for Sarah and, and Hagar, right? When we want to go back under the law, we go back to the weak and beggarly elements we once escaped from. The gospel has power. Uh, Romans 1.16 and Rome, uh, 1 Peter 1.23 and Romans 10.17. I'm going to move on. You can look at that up later. Acts 15 was a, a big change, monumental change, okay? In Acts 15, what happened? There was complaints coming from Antioch that um, the, the, the Jewish Christians, especially the, or the Gentile Christians, were not keeping the law of Moses and they weren't getting circumcised, okay? And so there was this big controversy. Do you have to or don't you have to get circumcised? Do you have to keep the law of Moses or don't you have to keep the law of Moses? So they brought this issue to the elder meeting in Jerusalem, and there they had the chief elders there, James, Peter, and so forth, right? And Paul and Barnabas come with them. And when, therefore, Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension or disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about the question. First of all, I want to discuss what a proselyte is. A proselyte is a convert, and in this case, it's a convert to the Jewish religion, okay? And in the Jewish law, they had a proselyte of the gate and a proselyte of uh, the covenant. And the proselyte of the gate that believed in God could actually mingle with the Jewish people, but they weren't allowed to take part in the, in the uh, ceremonies, the Passovers, the feasts, and so forth. The proselyte of the covenant, if they got circumcised, and held the law of Moses, they could do exactly what the Jews did. Okay? And so that's what I said there. The, the outcome of the Jewish, of the, of the Christian council there was Peter's response and James, uh, James' response. And he says, and God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost to the Gentiles, even as he did to us, and put no difference between us and them. And he says, Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? And the, the, the immediate response by the Messianics here is, or oh, they're talking about the, the false teachings, the oral law that was given to Moses at the same time, as the law that was given to Israel. Okay? That's what they're talking about, this false teachers, right? This was James's counsel. He wrapped everything up and says, Wherefore my sentence is that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God, but that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols and from fornications and from things strangled and from blood. That's it. That's what went out. Nothing else went out. And, for, and uh, 
And the reason he said that is because, just like Paul, and I'm going to get into it later, later on, the reason that they kept a, a, a lot of this law, number one, is believed that they, this was part of the Noahic law, that Noah didn't receive a lot of laws, but these were sort of things that were still from the Noahic law. And he says with the word for, is also contained in the Mosaic law, for Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him being read in the synagogues every uh, Sabbath day. Why would he put this verse with that? Why, why would it matter if Moses has uh, teachers in the synagogues every Sunday, uh, Saturday? Because he knew that that would be a hindrance to the gospel if they didn't conform to some of the things that were very sensitive to them. And we're going to get more into that with some other uh, examples. Verse 24 of chapter 15. This is the conclusion. For as much as we have heard that certain which went out from among us troubled you with words, subverting your souls, saying, ye must be circumcised and keep the law. What did it say? You must be circumcised and keep the law. That's what they were saying. What did the, the uh, elders say? To whom we gave no such commandment. Now, what part of that don't we understand? To whom we gave no such commandment. We didn't tell them you must be circumcised and must keep the law. We didn't tell them that. Their own words, right? Paul repeats this in Acts 25 when he was actually taking that, that, lot, that uh, what some people think is the Nazarite vow. He repeats the same thing. He says, as touching the Gentiles, we believe we have written and concluded that they observe no such thing. Save only those things, which he repeated item for item. <coughs> You've got a good memory. This is what we commanded the Gentiles only to do. And I'm going to skip the, the, the other translations. Um, Paul's letter to the Galatians, as I said, deals with Christians who wanted to stay in their past Judaistic ways. Those who gloried in other men's flesh. This is Paul's own words. Uh, though they were legalistic and insisted on keeping the law for completeness. In other words, if they never kept the law, they would feel not fully justified. Paul rebuked them sharply. Now, the reason I brought proselyte is because is some of these teachers are saying they're using the proselyte as his poor sacrifice that he gets hit with all the reasons why you should keep the law. The reasons that, we, that Paul really wrote about circumcision and these things is, is really he was saying that the, uh, he was talking about pros, the, the proselyte circumcision. And he was talking about uh, not keeping, Paul was really saying that you shouldn't get circumcised because it doesn't justify, but you, you should keep the law and you should keep the circumcision because it sanctifies. So they separate the thing into two things, justification and sanctification. Yes, Paul was right. We don't keep it because we don't, we, we don't get justified by it, but we keep it because it, it's sanctifying. I don't see not one proof in Paul's writings, in James's writings, so forth, that you keep the law for sanctification. And I'd like anyone to, to come forth with that verse or that passage that this is what you use for sanctification. Paul, when he was thinking about circumcision, 
was circumcision, period. Don't circumcise. He uses the term, before we came to faith, we were under the law. Something has changed when the gospel came. So he says, before we came to Christ, we were kept under the law. What does it mean? He deliberately uses the word kept because he uses it as if we were in prison or as if we were slaves to somebody. And that's the exact analogy he uses in, um, in, in the book of Galatians. We are no longer under the law of Moses. We are subject to the law of God, not Moses. Now, um, think of these things um, when we talk about different covenants. If, if one state has a certain set of civil laws, on speeding and stopping at stop signs and turning right on reds and so forth. It's a different administration in Ohio than it is in Virginia or in New Jersey, right? It's a different administration. But there are laws that everyone has in common because they are moral laws. They, they protect the citizen, right? They protect the citizen. And just because you're in different states and because the covenants have changed, it doesn't mean that the laws have to change. And just because God had a new covenant, it doesn't mean now that the, the law in the old covenant, the Mosaic law, remains the Mosaic law in the new covenant. It was always God's law, not Moses' law. In Galatians it says the law was added. See, the Messianics have so much value on Moses that some of them think that his law was, was given to you know, Genesis, in Genesis and so forth, all the way up to uh, uh, the New Testament. It's God's law. It's not Moses' law. And God, in his holiness and, and, and righteousness and purity, for all times, sees unfaithfulness as sin. And just because Moses had it doesn't mean it, it, it's something that belongs to Moses in our covenant, in our dispensation. Now, these are some very poignant verses. In, in 1 Corinthians 7, 18, it says, Is any man called being uncircumcised? In other words, is any man, uh, has any man become a believer in Christ and he was uncircumcised before he became a believer? He says, Let him not become uncircumcised. Okay? It, have, if you were a believer, if you weren't a believer and you were circumcised, and once you became a believer, don't go, don't undo it. You know why? Because it doesn't mean anything. Yes. Well, okay, but you know what I mean. No, but but the apostle Paul is the the apostle Paul is saying something here. He knew that you couldn't do it, but he's trying to drive a point home, right? Is any called in uncircumcised? Have you believed while you were uncircumcised? He says, let him not be circumcised. Do you see proselyte in there? Do you see sanctification in there? I don't. Because he gives you the opposite example. What he's trying to say is exactly what he says in verse 19. Circumcision is nothing. Uncircumcision is nothing but keeping of the commandments of Moses. No. The commandments of God. Let every man abide in the same calling where he was called. Now, I could end the forum right here and say, I have enough verses to say, you know, we are not obligated to keep the law of Moses. But 
I've got time. Um, <laughs> Galatians 6.15 says, he concludes, this is the last chapter of the letter to the Galatians. He says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision. Again, he's giving you the, 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 the two-pronged attack here. He says, But a new creature. Ceremonialism doesn't cut it. No pun intended. Okay? It, I, I just thought of that one. I didn't plan it. <laughs> Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster, and Brother Johnny had an excellent sermon in Toronto on this. The law was our schoolmaster, our pedagogue, to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. And he, the word pedagogue here, and the way it was used at that time, was the pedagogue was not a teacher. Got a salary, went home and did his stuff. The pedagogue was actually a slave. The, the, the pedagogue was a slave and, and now we were slaves to a slave. Okay? This is the allegory that, he, that Paul beautifully uh, develops. But after that faith came, we are no longer under this slave. The pedagogue, the schoolmaster. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward, but against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. And, and Paul never went about preaching the law. I challenge anyone that he went around preaching the ceremonial law. You never find him preaching the ceremonial law. Every time you come, you'll see he speaks only about laws of morality or immorality, against immorality. And I'm going to skip this one. Oh, no, I'm not going to skip that one. The reason, the reason Paul did keep the law sometimes was one, he had a, what do you call, a, a, a privilege. It was a privilege. You know, it's like many people here just love to sing from the Zion's harp. They won't sing from anything else. Or many people like, I was in Yugoslavia once and my uncle there insisted I wear a hat walking around the streets. I said, why? He said, because in case we meet believers. I said, so what? He says, well, it's only becoming. To them, it's faith. If you don't have a hat, it, to them it became like part of their, their, their beliefs. This is how a Christian must walk around with a hat. In fact, I know what he's saying. It's only a tradition. Okay? But I said, you know what? Um, the Bible says that women, should, that, that the women should pray with their head covered, than the man with uncovered head. And he said, well, Aaron had a hat. And I said, but the Bible says in the New Testament that we should pray with our head uncovered. He says, just do it anyway. <laughs> and I did. I did. I didn't feel my faith was violated. I did to keep the peace. Okay? To show him love. I'm not sure if I uh, met anyone on the street that day. But, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that's the point. He says... Paul, this is Paul now saying, Paul clearly differentiates between the law of Moses and the law of Christ. To them that are out without the law, as without the law. This is how he behaved himself. He approached those that were without the law, as without the law. He would eat with Gentiles, right? He would, we heard from uh, Brother Dennis's forum this morning about how we approach the unconverted. You know, if we have in mind for winning them over, then if it's, as long as it doesn't go against the law of God, there's nothing wrong with it. As a matter of fact, maybe everything right with it. Because that's exactly what he says here. 
to them that are without the law as without law, being not without law to God, he makes sure that we understand that, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without. To the weak I became weak, that I might uh, gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, to Jews, to Gentiles, to, to Scythians, to the barbarians, to whatever, that I might gain the more. Paul would use a ceremonial law in such a way to maximize his effectiveness in preaching the gospel. Uh, two examples are very clear here, okay? And he gives you the two opposite ends of the pole, okay? Titus and Timothy. Galatians 2.1. Then 14 years after, I went again to Jerusalem after his stint in uh, Arabia. I went to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should have run or had run in vain. But neither Titus who was with me, being a Greek, being a Gentile, was compelled to be circumcised. If there was ever a chance for Paul to enforce circumcision, he could have done it right here. If, he, if, if there was ever a teaching moment to say, yes, but we must keep the law of Moses, he had every reason to do it here. But because he didn't believe that, he said, and that because of false brethren unawares brought in who came in privily despite our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, he's comparing this circumcision with liberty, saying we are at, at, in liberty, we don't have to get circumcised that they might bring us into bondage. Because he was not now speaking to the unbelieving Jews, about the unbelieving Jews. You know who he was speaking about? He was speaking about the Christians, the Jews that had become Christians, that were um, insisting, these false brethren that were insisting that you get circumcised in order to be acceptable to God. And he says, to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for one hour. Not for one minute did I want to. I wanted to teach them a lesson. You don't need to get circumcised to be right with God. He could have said here also, but you still need it to get sanctified. But he didn't because it wasn't even in his mind. That the truth, here he's trying to, the reason he, he refused to, critis, uh, to uh, circumcise uh, Titus was that the truth of the gospel might continue. Acts 16.3, him would have Paul, this is speaking about Timothy now, he's doing the opposite. Him would Paul have to go forth with him and took and circumcised him because why? Because he should be sanctified? Because of the Jews which were in those quarters for they all knew that his father was a Gentile, a Greek. You see how he uses both ends? It's beautiful how he put it together. If we want to keep the law, the jot, the tittle, everything, he says, if you want to keep the law, you are going to be cursed. For as many as are of the uh, works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is every one that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto faith. Until the time of reformation. We talked about that, this time of restoration. 
To be under the law means to be bound by it. But Galatians 4.4, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he lives. And then he goes on and he talks about his freedom when, he was, when, when Christ came and removed him from that and gave him power over sin. I'm just going to move on. Now he's going on and speaking about uh, Abraham had two sons. He's going into this big allegory, not for without a reason. A bondmaid and a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. He says, these are an allegory, and I'm going to compare the two. Hagar and Sarah. He says, Hagar was a slave woman who bears children who are slaves. And it represents, one, the old covenant from Sinai. Ishmael was born according to the flesh, born into servitude. Sarah was the free woman who was uh, bore children, representing the new covenant and uh, of, the children, uh, of the Jerusalem that is above. Isaac was born according to the promise, representing the children of the uh, Jerusalem above, according to the promise, and they are free. You see how he's comparing the law? He's saying, though the law actually enslaved you, and he, because Hagar was a slave. It wasn't accidental that he just chose Hagar. She was a slave. And if you want to be under the law, you'll go under bondage. Oh, this is very important. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so it is now. As soon as you want to live after the, the spirit, you're going to get persecuted. Remember? Isaac was persecuted by Hagar and Ishmael. And as soon as you want to live under the spirit, you're going to get persecuted. And I'll, I'll get to that in Galatians 5. Galatians 5, it says, I testify that every man that is circumcised, not because he's circumcised, but that, that demands circumcision, right? He's a debtor to do the whole law. The proof to the apostle Paul that he was not preaching circumcision. You know, some people say Paul preached the law of Moses. It says that in, in Acts 21. He, did, he, he was not guilty of anything. He preached the law of Moses. Well, here he says, and I, brethren, if I do preach circumcision, why am I, why am I being persecuted? If I'm preaching circumcision, the Jews shouldn't be persecuting me because I'm doing what they want me to do. But because I'm not preaching circumcision, I'm getting persecuted. That's what he's saying, very plainly. He says, then is the offense of the cross cease. If I start preaching circumcision, the offense of the cross to the Jews is ceased. You're, you're, you're an outside, Paul. I'm glad you're preaching circumcision. But if you be led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. Paul rebuking Peter. I've got 10 minutes. I've got to move fast. Paul rebukes Peter. Peter was eating and drinking with Gentiles. And then certain from James came down that again were uh, still clinging to the old law. And he was, well, maybe they weren't, but maybe he was afraid that he, they were like others that if he got caught eating with the Gentiles, he'd get in trouble. So he backed out, and Paul uh, didn't take that very lightly. 
But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you, being a Jew, live after the manner of the Gentiles and not as the Jews do, why are you compelling the Gentiles to live as the Jews? Why are you forcing the Gentiles to keep the law? Right there. This is, I'm trying to paraphrase it to make it sound better. If you as a Jew are free to live like a Gentile, as shown by the fact that you ate their food with them, why do you now, by withdrawing from them to eat with the Jews, insist that the Gentiles must observe the tradition of the elders? In effect, you are saying that they must stop being Gentiles and begin to be Jews. Does not such an action seem contradictory, especially in the light of your own experience of justification? Okay. We are dead to the law. The law opposes liberty. Galatians 5.1 Circumcision is of no spiritual value. Galatians chapter 5 verse 6 For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision but faith which worketh by love. Um, I've already read Galatians uh, 6.12 talked about again the, the circumcision is not valuable nor uncircumcision. Going back to uh, Ephesians uh, 2.15, I was going to make some other points because of time I won't. Here is that verse in 2.16, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity. Jesus did not come to earth to die for false teaching. He came to die for sin. Parallel passages in uh, Colossians 2, and in Colossians you had a bit of a different mix. What you had there was were Christian believers that were, uh, and they were Jewish, but they had probably some Gnostic influence. And that came also from the Essenes and, uh, and sects like that, where they had uh, sort of mysterious teachings. You know, you, you had to have a certain knowledge to be part of the elite group. You had to have, you couldn't uh, touch this or taste this, or they really put the rule book around you. And Paul says in verse 4-9 of Galatians, But now after that ye have known God, or rather known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements wherein ye desire to be in bondage? Now, he's not speaking about you going, the Jews are now going back to the law. He's actually speaking probably to Gentiles who came out of paganism that also had laws and rituals and so forth and had known the truth but now have been influenced by Jewish Judaizers. Christian Jews that were trying to Judaize them. And so they weren't going back to the pagan rules and laws. They were going back to the rules and laws of Moses. That's why he calls them beggarly. It's the same principle. He calls these beggarly elements. This idea, notion of, 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 of uh, sticking to these little rule books to justify you. And I explained that there. Same thing with ordinances in Colossians, parallel passage to Ephesians 2. Roman liberty, I talked about dogma, the ordinances. Um, I want to show you, show you what Paul actually, when he did preach the law, what he preached. Okay, this is important. Every time Paul admonished the believers about sanctified living, he never quoted for once the ceremonial law. Please find it for me. He always focused on the moral law of God. Romans 1, Galatians 5, Ephesians 5, 1 Corinthians 6, 
First uh, Timothy 4 and 2 Timothy 3. Look at the list. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idol idolatry, witch uh, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness. He never said don't mix your goat's milk with your whatever, right? He said this is what defiles the man. When you live contrary to the moral law of God. Romans 1, same thing he says. Never once ritualism or ceremony here. 1 Corinthians 6, the same list or similar list. Ephesians 5, again, very similar list. Colossians 3, same thing. Right throughout his letters, you never once see him quoting saying, you violated the Sabbath. You ate shellfish. You did this. 1 Timothy 4, 2 Timothy 3. So I'm going to stop the, the uh, presentation here because I'm sort of going to start repeating myself. There was, uh, in, in Acts 21, this thing about Paul uh, coming back to Jerusalem. The elders were telling him, uh, I'll just finish on this point. And when they heard the, the works of the Apostle Paul in what he did in other places, they glorified the Lord and said unto him, Thou seest, brother, how many thousands of Jews are which believe, and they are all zealous of the law. There are many Jews there that believed, and they were zealous for the law. This is the proof to the Messianics that, see, the apostles kept the law. And in some ways they're true. They, some did keep the law to a certain degree. They, they, they loved their heritage. Maybe some gathered on a Saturday too. Maybe some uh, wanted to keep the Passover in a different sense. Not with sacrifices. And they all are informed of thee that thou teachest all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, neither to walk after the customs. So this is the big point, the, strong, the stronghold for the Messianics. They're saying that this is what you are doing, so show them different. I don't see it that way from this, what we're seeing here. What I see here what the, is exactly what Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians 9. Saying, look, we've got, we got a problem on our hands here. We've got all these people that, that, that are, are still steeped in their traditionalism, in, in, in Judaic you know, rituals. We can diffuse the situation if you do this. Go and you make your offerings, make a vow, take four people with you and pay for their offerings and this way we can appease them too. And that's exactly what he did, just like he took uh, Timothy and he circumcised him. He did that so that he could gain them all, so he can access them all. And uh, we can see that this, comparing to everything else that was done and said in the past, cannot mean there's no inkling of word that this was obligatory or must have done, but rather he used what he did in order to still have access to his own brethren and, and evangelize the gospel wherever he went. Okay? And that continues on in that verse. And this is where Paul repeated again what he did in Acts chapter uh, 15. I'm going to stop there because I said I had a ton of slides uh, because I wanted to 
for, for later on, you can take home. If you want, you can digest them yourself, study them. And I may have missed a few uh, verses, but at least I hope that you see that Scripture is overwhelmingly telling us that we as, as uh, believers in Christ are no longer subject to don't do this, do this in a ceremonial law. Because what really uh, we need to be focusing on is the gospel of Christ, that we are justified by faith through grace, or grace through faith. And um, I'm going to leave maybe five or ten minutes for questions. If you don't have to rush off, I'll be more than happy to answer other questions. But um, I'll, I'll leave some uh, time for questions in case you missed something or you have practical questions that you may want to ask. Brother Tim. I really appreciate all the time you've given to us, a lot of verses there. Um, they're just, like, I've been struggling with this, this concept for, well, more recently, the past couple of years, but I think just in general. There, there are certain questions in my mind which are not so maybe obviously answered. You read Psalm 1. I had that memor- I mean, somewhat memorized, right? The man who delights in God's law will be planted by rivers of water. Whatever does prospers. We, 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 we preach that, we, we speak that, right? right? We see Psalm 119. Every verse, 176, right. is praising God for his commands, his ordinances, his laws, his, his statutes, his precepts, right? Right. And just, I think, as a caution um, for... There's a, curl, a, a term called antimonianism, right. which means against law, no law whatsoever. Right. And I think there is a significant number of Christians today who would uphold that concept that Christ just said, just love, man, that's it. That's right. Which is, he did say that, but that's the Old Testament, really. Right. So I guess my, my thought is... Well... I, I read certain verses in the Bible. For example, you mentioned that Paul doesn't reference any of the ceremonial law, Correct. such as the dietary things. Correct. But if we read in Peter, he right. says, Be holy as I am holy. Correct. And if you read that in Leviticus 11, right. directly before that are all the dietary laws. Right. And to me, it's extremely... It's a sticky situation to start labeling ceremonial, moral, civil, because that delineation is not spelled out into scripture okay. and we would say be holy yes God is holy but only uphold the moral and then the question is well what so what do I read Psalm 119 in light of as praising God um, what did David or whoever wrote that do in light of in terms of writing about God's law right. what's moral or not moral okay. I mean can I tattoo myself right. I'm sure certain people in here would disagree with that and I would say, show me a verse in the Bible where I can't put a tattoo on my body. And they would have to reference something in the Old Testament. And then I would argue, use this argument as saying, no, that's no longer applicable. Okay. Or other things such as oh, cross-dressing. Cross-dressing. Yeah. Okay. okay. So let, what let, I'm saying, let, yeah. I guess, the, let me just, this sort of overall, is like, for those who, who might not have studied the subject, it's a, it's, it's, um, it's a pretty deep thing, and it's... it's uh, not to uh, belittle other Christians who might, who might keep, keep some of this stuff. 
I'm not saying that I'm circumcising everybody and all that stuff. I'm just saying that let's put let's 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 really sincerely examine ourselves and think about this. How do we come to understand what is right and wrong? What are the traditions that we have? Can I answer a question? Yeah. I know we can't get into it. First of all, the Old Testament did not have the revelation that we have today. That Agreed. is for sure. For sure. First Peter 1.10 says, Of salvation which the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace unto you. They didn't understand it. Angels desired to look into it. So uh, I do believe in what you may call dispensationalism, that, that faith or, 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 or uh, understanding of God is, is gradually revealed to man. It is, right? Um, but there is an answer for you concerning... Um, what you just said, and I fully agree. If, if it would stay that way, uh, I would, I would to totally condone it. Is F5. F5. F2, F5. Okay. Um, you can't see this, perhaps, but uh, neither can I. <laughs> I got the wrong chapter up here. Okay, Romans 14.1. Him that is weak in faith, receive ye, but not to doubt for disputation. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. For God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? Uh, verse 5. One man esteems one day above another, another man esteems every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth a day and so forth. What he's saying is, yeah, I'm, God understands that when you were steeped in this, this tradition in the past, you're going to like to do some of the things in that, in that, in that religion of the past. And, and um, I'm not going to judge you if you uh, want to do some of these things. But don't judge me and tell me I'm sinning if I don't do that, what you're doing. No, my main point was discerning what's morally right and wrong. Because right. if I see someone committing adultery, right. it is extremely, it's my right. uh, responsibility exactly. to approach them, right? So in that sense, if we're truly not to eat shellfish, it is our duty as a Christian to approach the other one, if that is true. But, but that's why we have the scripture, First Timothy. That, oh, that's the whole point, though. What is the moral law? How do you derive that from scripture? And do I throw away the Old Testament because it's worthless? We, no, we didn't say it's worthless. I didn't say that. I'm yeah. just, just hypothetically yeah, speaking. Right. No, no. We don't go into, first of all, we don't go into antinomialism, like you said. If you don't use this for two minutes, it closes. It's out. all right. Is it? Oh, sorry. Um, I was That's going, a question I struggle with. Yeah, I was going to go to a verse and, I, and um, what verse was that? Oh, 1 Timothy First Timothy. Four, I think, is it? First Timothy. Uh, verse, right? It says here, um, now the Spirit speaks expressly in the last days, right? That sh some shall depart from the faith, right? Speaking lies and hypocrisy, forbidding to marry, abstaining from meats which God created for them to receive, thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. And it's not necessarily the law of Moses, as I said. The, the word of God was being preached. You can, I, I looked at maybe 20 references where it talked about the word of God and it was specifically referring to the gospel. 
and, 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 and oral tradition in the gospel, in the New, in the new Covenant. Um, Jesus himself said, that which goes into the mouth doesn't defile a man, but what which comes out of the mouth. The, the whole Old Testament law of ordinances was there to make us, to, 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 as, as, a, as a, a shadow, as a, something that pointed to the reality of Christ. Okay? And the reason that God gave you clean and unclean, he didn't say because it was unhealthy or it was evil. He just did it to make a, a differentiation between his people and the Gentiles. That's been removed. That law of ordinance has been removed. Because the, that's what the scripture says. It says that law of ordinance has been removed. Now, if you want to eat... Cause what, no, 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 oh, I'm sorry. This, I think this is really important here. Yeah. You're, you're, you just said that the dietary law is what's being removed. Right. What about the cross-dressing law? Or what about the adultery law? Or what about lying the, law? The cross-dressing law, I don't believe, was a uh, ceremonial law. It was, a, it was a law of morality because he, in that one, he says it's an abomination unto God. But he says, be holy as I am holy. Yeah, but... I think folks may want to leave and right, they right. should feel free to do so because this is a sort of a... Sorry. Yeah, it's, we're extended beyond the right. time. And if okay. you want to continue the discussion, fine, but I don't think the rest of the folks should have to stay. Yeah. We'll, 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 we, we can take it offline if you like, but I'll look for some other questions. That I, I do want to say that... I. From research that I've done and a lot of these nutrition, um, certain of the laws were given for the benefit of the Jews. Mm -hmm. So it did separate them, absolutely. It separated them from the world. But it was definitely for their benefit health-wise and, and even just keeping them, keeping them different, but preserving their health. And if you look at some of the things that he had said in maybe the civil laws and um, the ceremonial, possibly, or about the eating of shellfish, right. some of that if we carry that over to ourselves today. Not that we have to, mm -hmm. but in some respects, there's a lot of wisdom there mm -hmm. um, in a lot of things that were kept in the law. If we can look at it as an example, but not something to... But doctors today would tell you that there is no difference between health-wise for some of these foods that were given. What I'm saying is, is that, that God gave you these laws. He didn't say why they were clean and unclean. He didn't say. There was no wording in that... In the, in the Bible, that he said, this is unclean because he just labeled them and categorized them, and this is how you are to be. But the interesting thing is some of the things that he said for the Nazi were animals that had no scales, and um, shellfish are like scavengers at the bottom of the ocean, a lot of times, things like that. So if you look at the type of things he told them to eat, you know, there's, there's some... But I think doctors will tell you today that pork, there's no difference between pork and beef. Nutrition-wise, health-wise. If you eat all the fat, sure. Right? If you don't, you don't cook it properly, sure. You can get sick from chicken. But what I'm saying is, uh, technically, there's no, there's no nutritional difference between pork and beef. Have you ever seen what a pig eats? A pig will eat itself out of a cement box. Yeah. They'll eat anything. Yeah. And whatever that pig <laughs> yeah. eats, that's what becomes But they, their meat can be pure protein. Their meat can be pure protein. Those are all, those are all points that you're making, but it, yeah. I mean... The, it really comes down to um, if you want to keep the law, or if you you know don't want to eat pork, that's fine. But it comes back to her point in the back. You can do it for your own thoughts and your health. Edification, whatever you but want. But that has nothing to do with why God said it. Okay, God said it. God said it. That can be that can be really you can really go dissect this thing to a great level. 
let's even just stay away from there. Let's just talk about if, if, if the Messianics are saying that you keep the law and you must be circumcised. We have so many scriptures that, that refute that outrightly. Okay, Right there. If someone tells me the theory is this wall is pure white. If I, want, if I find one black brick, I've disproved your law. And when I find that scripture on, on circumcision, for example, that, he used that not just because of circumcision, but that was the acid test because that was what they gloried in. Right? On circumcision, there are so many scriptures he used just to, 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 to refute that. So don't, don't ever believe the, 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 the false teaching that you must be circumcised and keep the law of Moses in order to be justified and sanctified. And I agree with what Brother Tim said, that um, uh, we shouldn't judge others. If, if, you keep, if you want to hold Passover with your family to re reminisce you know, what God did in the time of Moses, uh, you know, some families have done it. You know? I haven't rebuked them. Or I said, hey, that's wonderful. But, but if you say that if we don't keep the Passover, then we are sinning, that is, uh, Paul calls that, um, uh, who has bewitched you? It's confusion even to say, well, he's really saying it not for justification, but for sanctification. And my argument is this. For 2,000 years, Christianity, for the most part, has not kept the law of Moses. And so all those that, the ceremonial law, they, they didn't make it obligatory. And so that all those that didn't keep it have, have died in their sins? That's ludicrous. To say that they have been sinning by not keeping the law of Moses? You know, that's not, that's not scare tactics. That's exactly what Paul used in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, if you're saying to me that the dead rise not, then if the dead rise not, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, you're yet in your sins. And I'm the most miserable man on earth. I have the most miserable life. If I have only hope in this world, if the dead rise not. I mean, he went straight to the heart of the matter because there was this false teaching going on that, that the, the dead doesn't rise or the dead don't rise. And it's the same thing to say, if I don't circ get circumcised or if I don't uh, keep these uh, celebratory laws and ritual laws that I am sinning, I think that that is false doctrine and that needs to be dealt with. If you insist, if you want to do it because you feel you want to remember the heritage and the, and the traditions of, of God in the, in the Exodus, fine. But don't impose it on others. And that's exactly what Paul said in Romans 14, 15, 1 Corinthians 8, 9, uh, 7, 8, 9, uh, 8, 9 and 10. Okay? He said that. He said it in Galatians, in, in Colossians, in Ephesians. But let's not impose it and say, you must do that. And actually, they were talking about food. Really, none of that food is not beneficial or it's dangerous. I'm thinking as a physician. Um, third world countries suffer from outbreak, all sorts of diseases, and the last thing they can eat is uh, shellfish. They can't afford to buy it. So they struggle from all sorts of diseases and all sorts of problems, and not because they eat shellfish. They don't. Mm -hmm. We eat large shellfish, and I haven't seen in this country any outbreak of anything as a result of that. Yeah. Um, it, it all depends. I mean, you can eat chicken and people can get salmonella from chicken. People can die from that. Mm -hmm. The same thing with beef. Uh, so it's not really, it's completely unrelated. Or can salad. I? Thank you. Or salad. Or salad. <laughs>
I just, I just want to show you, these, these are the laws, before we go, these are the 613 laws, okay? What's in grey doesn't apply anymore. And if you fail to do one, you're guilty of the whole law, okay? You don't see the, you see the writings? Okay, that's to do with the, well, that's to do with the altar and the temple. Uh, better put my glasses on. This is to do with um, moral laws, soothsaying, idolatry, uh, stoning pro false prophets. You know, if you were to be a false preacher back then, you'd get stoned. Do we do that today? You have to marry his wife. Do we do that today? Why not? I mean, that's one tittle, that's one jot. Why not? So, well, I bet because we don't live in Israel. Or, that's if, not you, a, or if his son is bad, you stone him to death. Yeah. If your, st your son is picking up sticks on the Sabbath day, you kill him. <laughs> it, it really is. It, it goes back to your white wall and you find one black brick. If, if it's true, if you interpret it as one dot and one tittle means everything until the day the earth disappears, mm -hmm. then if the circumcision thing is very clear to you that, oh, circumcision, well, that one, you can be uncircumcised and circumcised, it means nothing. Well, that's a black brick in the white wall. You know, you, and, and all of a sudden you have to rethink, well, boy, yeah, there is a lot of stuff to think about. There is a whole bunch of stuff to think about. But you can't think of it as this pure white wall anymore. You've got to think heavy because my, my theory doesn't quite fit this and you have to revise it. Uh, brother Mark, and then okay. Brother Mark. Um, I think the point that was being brought up a little bit earlier was um, when we impose this categorization on the, on the law, the Mosaic law, and we look to establish what's ceremonial versus moral versus, how do we do that? I think that's really the heart of the question. How do we do that? Um, how do we, on what basis can we say uh, this still remains sin today? But this, you know, the, the wearing of, of whatever, cotton and linen together or, or plowing your field. Yeah. Two, how do we make that distinction as to what carries over and what doesn't? Because some things we're saying, as you were saying about the law of God. So I think that's really what, what uh, Brother Tim was bringing up earlier. And one thing I just would observe is that um, this is why we have the New Testament. Or not why, it's not the only reason why. But with the New Testament, we're able to interpret the old with the help of the new. Some of the specifics, much of the specifics in the old are not addressed specifically in the new, but some things definitely are. Let me uh, put it this way. Constantly, maybe three or four times in the New Testament, it quotes the Old Testament, Jeremiah and so forth, that the law of God would now be written upon the fleshly tables of your heart. Right? They gave five laws to the Gentiles. Or so. Nothing else. I am sure if the laws are written on the tables of our heart, we don't have to go back to the Levitical law to find out what they are. If the laws have been written on the tables of our heart, in other words, we are free. I mean, for example, a good one, a very applicable example today is, am I allowed to work on the Sunday or the Sabbath day? Am I allowed to work? Well, let me ask you a question. 
If Jesus said to the person that was pulling his ox out of the ditch on the Sabbath day, he says, what's wrong with that? If you're doing good, it's okay. So if you go back, say, what's wrong with working on a Sunday or on the Sabbath day or the Saturday, if you believe that, um, then you've got to ask yourself is, why are you working on the Sabbath day? Are you really working because you have to? I worked maybe once on a Sunday because I had to attend a nuclear station where I was one of the only uh, computer program, uh, uh, programmers that had to put some software code in and I went back there, whatever, to do some work. Okay, It was after church, but I worked on the Sunday. And if it was during church, I worked on the Sunday. Did I go there because I want to stuff my pockets with more money? Or did I go there because there was a need and that it would improve the safety of the station for that one day? It was a one-off thing. I actually refused to become a shift supervisor because that would require me working Sundays every third Sunday or whatever it was. So I said, I can't go through with this because I want to dedicate my life to God and I, want, I need to be in the place where I need to be on a Sunday. You see, I could say, the law doesn't say I can't work on a Sunday, but that's why the law is written on your heart and how you act. You're not going to stand before God on that day and say, well, the law said I didn't say I, I didn't, couldn't work on a Sunday, but I did anyway because I got double time. You know, what are your motives behind it? That's the whole thing. It's an honor system. You will rise and fall to your own master. That's what Romans 14 15 says. So I can work on a Sunday for what reason? We have nurses that must work on a Sunday. You know, well, who's going to keep our, you know, our, who's going to keep us healthy when we're in, in, in hospital on a Sunday? Stop all work, pull a life support. You know, it's good to do good on a Sunday. If you're doing it for the right reason, it's good. Where's your heart? The other six days. See, that's the difference between the law of the spirit of life and the law, the letter of the law, which kills in 2 Corinthians 3. If you live according to that letter of the law, you will be killed. You will die. I also believe that the final law that the Lord gave, to love the Lord with God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your might, and your neighbor and yourself, all of those are fulfilled in it. That exactly. Must That's the summation keep, of the law. That we must keep. The rest, he says, there is no law against it. I believe the temple was still in existence when Paul wrote most of that. And so I'm glad you brought up the point about the temple not being in existence now, thousands of years later, that if we have the eventuality that it might be rebuilt in our time, to know that that doesn't suddenly change what we need to hold to, because now there's a temple and it opens up all of the law that used to be. Paul had the temple at the time, mm -hmm. and it wasn't included in what he had given the Gentiles to do. That's right. Paul wrote about 50-something AD, the temple was destroyed in seven. Brother, uh, just a small point about the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, when, when Christ died, uh, big earthquakes and everything. And uh, I don't know if the Ark of the Covenant was, was gone then, or if it was at least it was it was not holy anymore. But certainly, when the Romans came, it's gone. Who knows where? Actually, if you read if you read Jeremiah, I was going to bring this point up. You know, we say how how can how can the law be so holy and yet it's so weak? Well, the temple was so holy, but God destroyed it. The ark was so holy, but God removed it from them. 
And he says that in, 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 in Jeremiah. He says, you that say, ah, the temple, the temple. You rely so much on the temple. You rely on your rituals, on your laws, on your, your mundane rote uh, service to him. As long as you're in the temple, as long as you had the ark, you thought you had everything. But they lost with the ark, right? You know, the thing is, if the law is on our, our hearts, we do things because we love God, not because we have to. That's the whole thing. Um, when you mentioned uh, in Galatians, it says the law was our schoolmaster. Which law were you speaking of? The just generic, just general. In general, in general. Well, but I think he was he was speaking about because he was refuting the false teachers about they have to keep the law of Moses and be circumcised to be justified. I I think it's the whole law, and I'll tell you why. And I would agree. And, and what I'm thinking is what Brother Mark said. I, I wanted to build upon that point. I think it's very valid. If you think of the law as our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, then the, the, the whole purpose of the law was really to expose our sinfulness. Yes. And if, if the law was given to the Jews to keep them separate, not so much what they were eating was going to sanctify them, but their obedience to the law, the commandments of God, was going to sanctify them. <clears throat> then really, what has changed, I guess, you know, when you come to the New Testament, it's still the same. It's, exposed, it's brought us to Christ, and now the Holy Spirit's commandments is what sanctifies us. Not sort of... Yeah. Right. So but even if you separated it and you put it in four categories, the end result's the same. I think, I think the moral law is, is just a, an extension of the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments was what regulates love. Okay? That's why the summation of the law is to love your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to your neighbor as yourself. Okay? That's a summation. That you love God. You do, you serve Him because you love Him. And you are good to each other because you love each other. Okay? The first four commandments had to do with loving God, was it? And the next six had to do with, do with loving man. If you love man, you won't steal, you won't lie, you won't cheat, you won't commit adultery with his wife. It's to do with love of God. Whereas eating shellfish or not eating shellfish, whereas uh, what's dipping yourself so many times in the labor and so forth, has nothing to do really with the love of man. It was, a, it was a teaching tool that God used to show them, to point them that you cannot be justified by doing this. You break one law of those, you break everything. And he says the ordinances in Hebrews 9 and Ephesians 2 and Colossians and so forth, he says they were just a, there for a, a time. They were temporary. It's old. It was weak. And that vanishes away. But Romans t uh, 3 says, do we then make void the law? Or, seven, or he, Romans 7, it says, no, we establish the law. Well, what do we establish? That part of the law that reveals our sin. That part of the law that reveals our sin is established. But we just saw Paul say, two or three times, that circumcision availeth nothing but a new creature in Christ. Uh, Brother uh, Cattle and then uh, Esther. And Jesus, um, there were some people that did some very wonderful things in the name of Jesus. And they said, we did this in your name, we did that in your name. And, and Jesus said, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. And then there were some others who were you know, welcome to Jesus. Jesus welcomed them into eternity. And they said, what did we do? Mm -hmm. 
he said, well, you, you know, you gave me a glass of water, you did me in prison, you did all these yeah. things. Yeah. So the, the, the message of the story is, is if we're working our life like a checklist, you know, oh, mm -hmm. no shellfish, got it, right. uh, you know, right. done all these ceremonial things, right. get, oh, the Lord's going to be so happy with me because I got this checklist. Right. You're on the wrong program. Right. If you're, if you're thinking about these things, um, then it's just you know you're 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 trying to work your way there, and it, that's not the way it works. Uh, we had uh, hey Sister Esther here. Yeah, I just want to mention that every rule or law has a reason. And many times to our children, we say, "Don't ask questions," you know. Mm -hmm. But we have a reason for it. Okay. And another thing too, you mentioned about uh, Sunday, you know. Now this morning the subject was about the conscientious objectors, okay? And it, we were sitting there for a long time watching all about it, okay? But now, let's say yesterday we came after a long trip. I mean, I've seen a whole group of us all filed into Walmart shopping, okay? Getting things. Now, why are we making such a big deal about, I mean, it should be about objecting military, so on, but yet we totally have gone away from the Sabbath. The Sabbath just does not exist anymore. Yesterday, the parking lot was full. I'm not saying because of us. Yeah. It just, the Sabbath has disappeared. You know, uh, that's a good point. I question myself on that sometimes. You're coming home on Sunday, you're going to have guests, you have no, nothing in the fridge, because you weren't expecting the guests, you stop in a Walmart to get it. Is that right or wrong? I don't think that... I don't, we heard Martha and Mary this morning. You need Martha sometime. You're not going to the store because you want to you materialize a Sunday. You're going there because you want to show kindness and hospitality to your guests. Establish that the Sabbath isn't Sunday as well. No, well, I'm, I'm just no, but I'm, I'm just saying some people do think that. You can go on Saturday too. Some people do think that. Well, that was nice into my question, and that is about the Sabbath because you know the apostle never did speak about against going against the Sabbath. In fact, you can read in the Old Testament where it was supposed to be established forever, and the Jews at that time, and I think even those early Christian Jews. The Messian, they were all messianics to begin with. They kept the Sabbath. And I, any comment on that, Brother Doug, in terms of, I realize that we do it. My comment, my comment is this. Number one, if you look into the New Testament, they gathered on the first day of the week. It's said in two or three places, 1 Corinthians 16, Acts, and so forth. And, and, they, and the reason was given by the, the, the disciples of the apostles, because they celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay? The other reason is what I showed in uh, Romans 14. One man regards one day, one regards the other. You know, we don't just worship on the Sabbath. You know, some people have a problem, especially from the old country, that you actually have services on Christmas Day because you're copying the world. And Christmas, who knows if Christmas was on Christmas Day, 25th of December, you know? And that would be, you know, but it's not because we worship on Christmas Day it's just that time of the year we feel good about it. It's a time that we can now proclaim and we can use it as an evangelistic tool to bring others that think that it's, we should. But not that we, we idolize it. Not that we uh, uh, you know, ch chasten people that don't come on Christmas Day. 
but I think it's all to do with what is your motive behind it. And the reason the early church did, if you do your research, is that they worshipped on the Sunday because that was more glorious to them because that was a resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and gave new life. Pardon? Plus the Sabbath was taken. And, and the Muslims got Friday. The Sabbath was taken by the Jews. The Sabbath was taken by the Jews. It is nothing wrong when you mention, you know, on, on uh, uh, Christmas Day to go to church. But it's wrong when it, the Pope it comes and it says, Today Christ was born. Well, I see we that it's wrong. Yeah. Yeah, we don't know. Worship is a free day. Yeah. It doesn't matter which day it is to get together. We've got to get our facts right first. But only that one word bothers me when I hear all the time every right. year. Today Christ was born right. and so on. But you know, what's interesting now, some of these things that are coming up, they're coming up because what we were raised with and what we're comfortable with and what we don't want to get away from. That's exactly what happened in the early church with the Judaizers. They were raised that way. It was hard for them to break off. It was hard for them to even imagine that Peter went to preach to Cornelius. You ate and drank with, with Gentiles. Very hard for them to do so. And yet, you know, later on Peter had to learn a lesson. Even after believing, after the council of, uh, of, of Jerusalem, he was in, maybe it was at the same time, the scholars aren't sure, but he was admonished by Paul severely, rebuked him to the face in front of everybody, to say, why do you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? Uh, and talking about Sunday and being the Sabbath and not working and all that, we also have to remember those that are in ministry are probably the hardest workers on that day. Brother Tim had his hand. The concept, I'm. When is there a chance for Sabbath? Again, I, I'm just playing like the, the other side because Good. I'm struggling with this. All right, yeah. it's not it's not like I'm against anyone or something like that. It's just my things that pop into my mind when I hear certain comments. Mm -hmm. The Bible, I mean, Saturday is a Sabbath. Sunday is not the Sabbath right. from the Bible. Um, the Sabbath is part of the Ten Commandments. The Sabbath was established from eternity. Um, I realize, for all practical intents and purposes, it's so much easier to to, to rest and to um, have a holy convocation with other believers on Sunday because that's the way our culture is set up pretty much. But are we going against the commandment of God in that regard? And I'm not talking about shellfish or cross or whatever no, it is. This is part of the Ten Commandments. This is part of the Ten Commandments. Establish it from yeah. eternity. And that seems to be like, well, wait a second. So the early, in Acts we read that they met on Sunday, but does that change this ordinance forever? Because they... we. Acts is a tricky book because we can read historically what happened. We never read directly from Scripture that, and this and Saturday was changed to Sunday, or Romans fourteen. So if I meet on Thursday, everyone's okay with that. No, I'm okay with that. Well, I mean, I just heard that Sunday's the Sabbath. Uh, so, I'm not even calling Sunday the Sabbath. I'm not calling Sunday the Sabbath. I'm calling so it the first day of the week. I, so have we made that command of God that of the Ten Commandments null and void? You know, First Corinthians five. First of all, First Corinthians five says Christ is now the Passover. Oh, yeah. We don't celebrate in 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 
in, in uh, Hebrews 7, I think, or around about there. It taught, I believe it, it, it points to Christ as being the Sabbath. Okay? He is our rest. We have finally entered yeah. into the rest. Christ is our Sabbath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Figuratively speaking. So when you go back into the ceremonialism again, is what is, what is the, utter, the ultimate um, uh, way of worshipping God? Is it in a place? Because remember, they, God, says you must, God says you must worship in the temple. In Jerusalem. You cannot have sacrifices anywhere else. You've got to worship where, where Abraham was going to sacrifice his son. And guess what? He said that, but he brought it to an end. Well, then also the God, Christ told the Samaritan woman, but then exactly. you, will, but you will worship Every man shall worship God, in, 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 not in Jerusalem, but in spirit and in truth. And so that's the, that's the, 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 the trap we get ourselves into. And I'm afraid, I'm really afraid of many believers who think that as long as I come twice a week to church on a Sunday, I have fulfilled my, my obligation of worshipping God. That is dangerous. Because what is the state of my heart for the re remainder of the week? Yeah. Brother Ted and then Sister Ted. And, and if we go back to God, it was the seventh day that he rested. Which was that? For the Sabbath, Sabbath day. Yeah. Saturday. No. Yeah. Sabbath yeah. is means the rest. Yeah. Yeah. So it really doesn't mean a Saturday. No, it doesn't mean no. a Saturday. So, so a Saturday. that's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's a day of rest. Right. That's all yeah. exactly. that's all yeah. God talked yeah. about. Yeah. Is there yeah. has to be yeah. a day yeah. that we set aside yeah. but, for rest but, in worshiping God. You're right. But in the in the law of Moses it was the seventh day and it was called and the Sabbath. Right. Yeah. Okay. We had set up and then we'll have describing the Christ is uh, Sabbath, I heard from one of our elders actually, uh, he said that our Sabbath is all the time because we have to be holy we, because of Christ and uh, uh, our redemption through him, that now we are holy, we are being as Christ is, it's not right. one day it's all the time Right, right, exactly um, Real quick, some have said that, you know, did the law change? Mm -hmm. And I would put forth that the law has never changed from Adam, he only wanted obedience to his need. Okay, and did Adam have, you know, clean and unclean? Well, maybe you know, there's something about in by Noah's time there were some in there, but we don't really know what happened before Moses. But we do know that God wanted you to love one another and love Him, and so the law has never changed. And you know that you know people would say, well, what's changed from Moses? No, no. no. It went way before there. The law has always been obedience to him. And then the, and then we get afraid because, well, what does it mean to be obedient to him? And and we're afraid to give people the liberty to say, it's the leading of the Spirit, somebody was saying. It's yeah. the leading of the Spirit because, well, all sorts of people are led by the Spirit. But the truth is, if, it does lead us. If you, you know, and, and now that we're talking about this topic, if you remember the list from uh, Colossians and uh, I think in Galatians too, they talked about, Ye observe days and seasons and times and months, right? There were special days they had, right? Special day, the Day of Atonement. They had the Sabbath day. They had this, the seasons uh, when they celebrated uh, the harvest and things like that, Fe right? Pentecost, the, the first fruits and so forth. 
they, and all these were fulfilled in Christ because Christ was the first fruit. If you, if you really study it, you'll see one thing almost for every single thing that he mentioned. He talked about times, the three times a year that the, the males had to show up to Jerusalem. That had equal weight with the, law of, with the Ten Commandments because it was all in the covenant. At that time, it had equal weight. We can't say, because Christ said, one jot or one tittle, right? But what we do know is that God has now written this on our hearts. And what we, I think all of us are, can be fairly convicted of and convinced of is that, that the moral law was something that remains. Because if I, if I do something to, uh, sh to show dis despite to my neighbor or unloving to my neighbor, I've broken that moral law. If I do something to, to show unfaithfulness to God, I've broken that moral law. Not worshipping other idols, not um, um, uh, bowing down to images, uh, not using his name in vain, and spending time with him on the Sabbath. That's why he wants a Sabbath. He says, drop everything. Spend time with me, the one that you really love. And whether we spend time with him on a Sunday or a Saturday, I don't think, if we have an agreement, I don't think God... Um, is going to uh, judge us for spending time on the Sunday and then uh, the Saturday. But the, the big way in, in, in discerning some of these questions is what did those that were inspired by the Holy Spirit, the disciples, the apostles that witnessed his crucifixion and resurrection, what did they believe and what did they teach their uh, disciples? They worshipped they, they, they set aside Sunday as a time they got together. You know, in some of these disputes, we, we, go, we go back to the early church. What was closest to the fire? What, what, was, what, is, what would be the hottest? That which is closest to the fire. And that was some of the teachings. And, 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 and that's why we believe that what we as, as the apostolic Christians uh, hold very closely to is, is a lot of their teachings because they were closest to the, the apostles at the time. And that was handed down. These are the traditions that Apostle Paul talks about, handing down these traditions. The, 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 the traditions of moral living, of sanctified living, and loving your God. We're going to have one more question, and then we're going to wrap it up. Maria. Uh, Brother Doug, when I was working in emergency in Canada nursing, one opportunity, husband and wife, elderly, they came and I opened the door to help them out. First word, what he says, sister, you're working on Sunday mm -hmm. and I'm supposed to help him. I said, brother, if every Christian would be in church and they have accident or sick, I won't be here. Right, right. <laughs> that's what, that's what, we, we're talking about, you know, non-resistance. I can say, it. I'm, I'm holding this, right? Um, I had a Muslim that told me, when we talked about non-resistance. So what if everybody was like you that didn't fight when they went to... <laughs> That's what he said. I didn't have to answer that one. Okay. I think he got it. Anyway, thank you. I, I, I can stay around if you want any specific answers to your specific questions. But thank you for your wonderful participation.